Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. up everybody happy thursday thanks for joining us here in the cell liberty lounge i am so excited to be joined by a very good friend of mine uh i've known for god well over a decade now uh she is a self-described foul-mouthed southern belle badass defense attorney i love her more than she could ever understand guys welcome in natalie McCown. How are you tonight, Natalie? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. I feel very so tell, yeah, tell, tell, tell everybody about you, who you are, where you're from, background, all that sort of good stuff. Um, as you can probably tell by listening to me, I'm from the South. I'm from Alabama, from a tiny little town called Sullivan. I practice law right now in Florence, Alabama, which is close to Huntsville, Nashville. Um, do a lot of criminal law. It's really my passion. And I'm just up here late at the office trying to make you happy and make me happy. Trying and to make it happen. What, yeah. what, what, a, what a cool defense attorney office, right? Well, <laughs> uh, let's, we got a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it and let's talk some shop. Yes. All right. So Kyle Rittenhouse, um, we, I, I, I'm going to be honest when I asked you to come on, I thought we were going to have all kinds of verdict stuff to talk, but it's kind of stuck, uh, in limbo right now. The word on the street is that there are two jurors that are worried about the outcome and how it might affect 
their city and, for example, potentially more rioting, more violence, more property damage. Um, can Well, first, can you tell us how on earth that information gets out of a jury room? Because I was shocked for you to tell me this. Well, I don't know what it, their courtroom is like. I don't know where the jury, where they're deliberating at. But I was wondering the same thing. How could we have gotten that information? Because, you know, jury deliberations are between the jurors. That's where they're at in this room. And it's supposed to be them deliberating, no outside interference. So what will typically happen is if, you know, during the verdict, to sign the verdict, defense attorneys, prosecutors will sit out in the courtroom and they'll try to just kind of listen to see if we can hear what's going on in the, the jury's deliberations. And sometimes you can hear them laughing. You can only tell the overall demeanor of the room what's what's going on and sometimes you actually hear what they're saying and i've actually had a case where i had one holdout juror who was like i'm not i'm not convinced i'm not going to vote guilty or not guilty i just i don't i don't want to even get into it and so Mm -hmm. he held everybody out and i was able to hear that in the courtroom i could tell who it was which which juror it was and i was able to discern okay we've got one holdout and it's because she just didn't convince, but she doesn't know what to do. But she's not going to go on ahead and convict. So a lot of times it's from the actual courtroom, listening to the you know the jury and they're deliberating. You can sometimes hear what's going on inadvertently while you're really not supposed to be listening. But you know if you hear it, you hear it. You can't unring that bell. Yeah, and and it, you would think like sometimes in higher profile cases they change the location, but this is still kind of small town Wisconsin, so I guess that is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, what, as a defense attorney, is going through your mind while jury is deliberating? Well, if we've got you know a couple people that aren't you know that are holding out, it's good at this point because I mean they're not able to reach a verdict, so. Right. And, and I think in my mind, I'd be thinking, well, we're looking at probably a hung jury. If I, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's me, that's what I'm thinking, because it doesn't sound like there's enough to con- convict or acquit. Whichever way they're leaning, I don't know. Um, right. In my opinion, there's not there's certainly not enough to convict them, you know, right. which would tell me if there's not enough to convict them, then we all should want to acquit. But, you know, that's not how regular lay minds right. work. So, you know, how have you unanimous decision either way? I would be leaning towards it's probably going to go mistrial. Right. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people believe it's going to go mistrial as well. Have you ever come across or heard stories of something similar to this where there's potentially a jury holdout because they know what they want to, to vote, but they're potentially concerned about public opinion and backlash? No, I've never personally seen this, but. I think that in every case that you're involved with, whether it's, you know, in our small town here in Florence, you're going to have to deal with a trial by the media, essentially, in the public, what they're saying. And that's its own, you know, little weird area where you have to deal with that. So I think here it's different because they're worried about, okay, our outcome of this particular trial, what we decide could affect our entire city. I have never personally Mm -hmm. had to deal with, with anything with that sort of repercussions. But I can see how that would be in their minds of, you know, how am I going to deal with this on the outside? You know, what am I going to, after we reach the decision, what am I going to do? Yeah. The closest thing I could think of would be almost like the Rodney King prosecutions or even last year with Derek Chauvin. But 
those juries were able to reach a, a verdict, uh, you know, in, in those. Um, I, I would be curious. Potentially, it's that the media is on the side of, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's that the media's got, I, I think in Derek Chauvin, it was a pretty clear-cut case uh, that, that he he screwed up and he did wrong and he committed murder, basically. But um, I think in this case, the, the media and potentially the public opinion are, a little different um, that not everybody is lo- like on this one side of things. Um, and, and in this case, the media wants uh, to, to get Kyle Rittenhouse, whereas the evidence really shows something contrary. Whereas in the show, in case, I guess it was pretty, yeah, he's guilty obviously. And, and, and here's that. Um, but I, it, it's a weird place where trial by media has got us escalated to the point where we're making guilty or innocent decisions on, um, like, how is the public going to perceive it? Uh, what can you do your job if the public is 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 swaying you in that way as a defense attorney? I mean, I think you have to come up with creative ways to deal with that and, you know, having press conferences and doing things that may not be limited by a gag order or what have you. You know, you're going to have to find a way to help the public perception on your client if you're having to deal with a media presence or a trial by media. And I mean, you know, I'm watching this. I haven't followed the news in probably two years because I just hate it. It's just yeah. it's bad news all the time. And it's always you polarize. So I just don't, I just stopped watching it. So when you told me about this going on, I was like, yeah, I need to get caught up. Heck, I mean, I know it would be hard to try to go on each polar opposite end of the spectrum and deal with each news media organization on, you know, your client and how they need to, you know, perceive him. Right. Yeah. And it's almost impossible because this, it's almost like the news media made up their mind before the trial on what it was. There are clips out there of them calling him a blatant white supremacist saying he showed up with a gun to shoot people and then nothing seems to back that up. We got a question I'm going to drop in from Holden Wright. Uh, He says, a legal analyst from former Milwaukee County ADA slash current defense attorney Jane Christopherson seems to think the prosecution made some huge mistakes, including rights violations at the very least grounds for appeal if there's a conviction thoughts i mean i think there's multiple grounds for you know in an appeal if if it doesn't go his way the defendant's way there are several things that happened that violated his rights in my opinion that are certainly arguable that they violated his rights um whether or not he could even really have a fair trial with the media right i mean that is that's a huge deal what we were just talking about the jury feeling pressure from the outside about what to do has no bearing on whether legally this guy is guilty or he's innocent, but that's into their minds. And so there's a question for me, can he really, has he gotten a fair trial? I mean, has, has those right, has that right been violated? Because we can't have one with, we have this outside influence affecting the juror's decision. And if that comes out that, somehow they can prove that that coming out of a juror's mouth, that they're worried about what's going on the outside, so they weren't going to make a decision. That's one thing. Another thing that's been, right, that's been violated, in my opinion, the fucking prosecutor, you know, in his opening statement, making reference to the defendant being silent. 
That is a number. That's like, no, no, you don't do that. That's baby lawyer. If you're going to be working in a trial, a courtroom, you know that. The fact that this Mm -hmm. dumbass doesn't know that is unsettling. Like, I can't even tell you how unsettling it is to me. I don't know how they done then. How would a mistrial be in at that moment? Right. Referencing that, um, you know, there is the we've got we've got a video we could play of the judge yelling at him. I I couldn't find the specific point where he did this. But basically, when you are arrested, the first thing the police officer has to tell you, you have a right to remain silent. If you go to uh, be questioned by the police, the first thing you can say is I'd like to speak to an attorney and then you don't have to talk. Ever again, you don't have to talk to police. You don't have to answer anybody's questions. You don't have to do any of that stuff. That is your legal right. So for the prosecution to use it as evidence in some way or infer from that that he was guilty is like day one stuff. So the question a lot of people had when it came to that, Natalie, was is that ignorance or was it intentional knowing you don't have a case and you can maybe save some face with a mistrial? Is a mistrial a tie where you walk away and you go, especially if you got a shit case like this one? Well, that's what I don't understand is, okay, I don't know whether this was an intentional act by him or not. I would hope that it was not an intentional act by him to mention this to produce a mistrial for a couple reasons. One, he's an officer of the court. You know, we're supposed to go into that courtroom and do the best of our the best of my abilities to do my job, to get whatever outcome I've got to get for my client, him being the state, what he has to do, everything he can ethically do to get a conviction. Okay. <laughs> so if he wants to go in there and blow it up, it's wasting a lot of people's taxpayer dollars. It's inflamed an entire city. I mean, there's no telling the repercussions of just this prosecution even occurring. I don't understand why. If it was a shitty case to begin with, why didn't they present it to a grand jury? Because prosecutors, at least in Alabama, if you present a case to a grand jury as a prosecutor, the defense doesn't get to be there. It's totally secretive. Mm -hmm. So they can sway that evidence in the grand jury, like when they're in there telling the grand jury, what, hey, these are the facts. This is what happened. They can, at that point, put it in a way where they can pretty much get it kicked if they want to, because nobody's there to police it. So if it was such a shitty case, if I'm the prosecutor, I'm going to try to go in there and tell the grand jury, Here's what happened, but I'm going to try to sway them to say, yeah, there's not enough for even to try to even get them right. charged. So I don't understand yeah. why they're going the, the route they're going with it. If he is doing that, it's it's wasteful on the taxpayers. And I mean, this the whole city's in arms about it. Yeah. Well, I think I think maybe the reason that the prosecution didn't do that is because they knew this was this was a huge thing when it happened. It was a it was a huge story. Mainstream media covered it. It was wild for a couple months. So almost the prosecution almost felt like even though they did the court of public opinion forced this trial, essentially, does that have to go with like because you're right. I think if he put this in front of a grand jury, even as well as he swayed his facts, there, there, there's going to be at least one or two who go, uh, you don't have a case here, dude. Like, it, 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 and it, the public outlash, that repercussion, those riots potentially from not going to trial could have happened. So maybe he's trying to kick the can down the road and I don't know. I, I don't know. What are can, your if he's going to kick the can, we still have to pick, you know, we have to address the can at some point in time. So right. 
if it does, if he's trying to get it thrown out for a mistrial now, is it because he has a shitty jury? Like he doesn't, he doesn't think that his the jury that they've picked is going to be on his side, or is it just I just don't like this case? I don't know. I would hope that he wouldn't do that. I think he's so fucking stupid that <laughs> I think I don't think it's a tactical thing. I don't believe this guy is bright enough to force a mistrial. I think he's just that ignorant. Okay, I I I I, take, I trust your word on that. I wasn't able to watch it all, but uh, yeah, that's. Um, let's talk about uh, what the trial. Well, let's play let's play this video real quick. Um, and I, this is where the judge really kind of lays into uh, the prosecution. And, Which one? Uh, yeah, yeah, the 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 big one. Hold, hold, let, let's watch. I know what this is, though. This is whenever right. we start talking about some 404B stuff that the judge has already made a prior a motion in limine order on a right. motion filed to exclude certain conduct to show action and conformity. And this prosecutor deliberately came and there had already been judge's order. We're not going to talk about this particular conduct uh, because it could you know, prejudice the defendant. It's more prejudicial than probative and value. And so judge already ordered that. And this prosecutor comes out and says, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go on and I'm going to talk about it right here in front of the jury. And you cannot unring that bell once right. you put that in front of the jury. And he knows that. I mean, so uh, granted, now he may not know that. I don't know. But <laughs> either way, well, I know I, that, there's a reason that that judge admonished him like he did. Because this is, I mean, like the second time that I tell at this point in time in the trial that he fucked up majorly. So yeah. major fuck up. And, and this is where the defense is saying he's either Tr aiming for a mistrial mm -hmm. or yeah he's just stupid so mm -hmm. uh i i put on the cc so uh maybe you can follow along exactly yeah. what the judge says cool so i mean the judge what, is pretty much like this he's like look i want to fucking cuss you out right now but i know yeah. that every camera is pointed up here this is going to be on national tv and i'm already making you look like such a dumbass i'm just going to leave it at this i can't fucking believe what you just did like right. it is like unexcusable. I mean, it's the second time he's fucked up. Like what I just told you, he'd already right. fucked up about you know even acknowledging or talking about the Fifth Amendment, you know the silence thing, and then he's fucking up and he's bringing up some prior, you know bullshit that's not admissible under four hundred four B, and a judge has already said you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, so, mm -hmm. what what is four hundred four B? Explain that for us, plebs. Okay, let me try to put this in a way. So let's just say you're charged with a crime. Let's say, Jeremy, you're charged with murder, okay? And there's a certain way that you created, you, you did this. You shot somebody in the head, and so you had you broke in their house. Well, let's just say you had a prior conviction of murder, and it was the same kind of facts, all right? The judge would have to decide whether or not we could talk about the prior act. The prior bad act is okay. 404B, okay? Whether it's conduct that would show... Hey, because he did it this one time, this bad act one time, maybe that can bear on whether he did it now. The court says, no, we're not going to use past acts or prior bad acts that have nothing to do. They're too attenuated from this particular charge to actually prove that he's a bad person. It's more prejudicial, meaning it hurts the defendant more to bring up that bad act than it does to help the jury decide whether to convict him or not. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, if it's more prejudicial than probative, it doesn't come in. And typically in a case like this, courts will err on the side of caution on 404B. They're typically not going to let a prior bad act 
come in unless it meets certain, um, I guess, certain requirements where it could come in. Like, let's just say he had had a charge, you'd had a prior charge of where you actually shot somebody in the head breaking in. Exact yeah. same type of modus operandi, right? right. You have an MO that's saying. Um, if that's going on, then sometimes the judge, if there's an issue of like whether you're saying, hey, I wasn't even there, I, I don't know anything about this, I didn't kill this person. If you ask your theory, then sometimes the judge will say, well, we've got a prior charge where the same sort of facts are involved, where you did the same sort of thing. So, yeah, we'll let that come in. That 404B typically wouldn't come in, but if it makes an exception, it will. Does that make sense? Okay. That does make sense. That does make a lot of sense. Um, so, what was it exactly that he brought up previously um, in uh, that 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 wasn't necessarily approved? And he mentions the door was open, but he said, "For me, not you." I, I don't think it was a, an actual like criminal charge. I think it was some kind of conduct that the defendant had engaged in at some point in time prior to this. Um, particular event occurring and i and i could be wrong but if my memory serves me correctly i believe it had something to do with him talking about shooting someone and maybe pointing a weapon at somebody prior and okay. and i think the prosecutor is trying to make an argument of intent okay mm -hmm. like well clearly his intent was to go do this because he'd already talked about doing it however the judge you know they took that up on pre-trial motions where the the defense attorney filed likely a motion in limine to say, look, you know, we've got these bad acts that they've, they've alleged and complain or some of the discovery that we've been provided. And we're asking you go ahead and determine before we go to trial that these certain things cannot come in under 404B. And so that's what okay. the judge did. He decided at that point, these certain con this certain conduct, I'm going to say, does not come in. And, I'm, and no. Now, what you would do in that case, if you're the prosecutor, if you wanted to bring that up, what you would do is have a little go to the bench with the defense attorney and say, look, what, at this point, after hearing what you've heard, judge, is that still going to be excluded? Don't just okay. bring it up in front of the jury without going and talking to the judge and the, the defense attorney first. I mean, so yeah, yeah. and anybody that's been in trial work would know that. Yeah, because he knows what he's doing. It's like you said earlier, once the jury hears it, they can't unring that bell. So that's an advantage that the prosecution has and can use to their advantage. And he gets yelled at. Yeah, that's okay. But, uh, you know, people don't it hurts convict, the defendant. convict on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it does. It does. it does. There's so many things that there's going to be an appeal on, in my opinion, if it goes for the prosecution. If the verdict comes in the prosecution's favor, the amount of claims for an appeal is just astronomical. We believe, obviously the the overwhelming belief is that there's going to be a mistrial here. It, what what happens in that case of a mistrial? There's with prejudice and without prejudice. Can you explain the difference uh, for the people? Mm -hmm. So yes, well, what with prejudice means is like let's just say it gets dismissed with prejudice. The judge takes it out of the DA's hand because he did mention something about the video. I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember, if you heard this or not, but when he was allowing this particular video to come in where they'd enhanced the quality of it, but it hadn't been provided to the defense prior to the trial. Um, right. He was going to, he said, look, I'm going to let it come in. Um, but this could be a house of cars. If this comes down later, that something's quirky with this and something smells rotten in Denmark, then this could fall apart real quick. And I will have no beef dismissing this with prejudice. Okay. okay. And so yeah. with prejudice means it cannot be tried again. Okay. If, if the judge were to take it out of the prosecutor's hands, it couldn't be tried again. Now, that could potentially be appealed by the prosecution, but 
that's what pre with prejudice means you can't be tried for again. If it's if okay. it's a mistrial without prejudice, they would bring the charges again. We'd have a whole nother trial, which typically is what happens when you have a hung jury. Okay. Uh, Holden wanted to bring up that video specifically that it was compressed. Uh, I sent you the the clip last night of the two. It seems like they just cropped a Fox News video. Uh, in your opinion, what is what what is that going to be? That's a violation of discovery, says Holden. Uh, what what is what do you think is going to be the outcome here? Well, granted, I don't know what they're going to do. I wish I had a magic ball and I could tell you, but right. I mean, if you are charged with a crime. You have you're entitled to all the evidence that could exculpate you from the crime that says, hey, you might not be guilty of this. Anything that the prosecution right. has, they have to turn it over to you. Right. And so before trial, you're supposed to get everything as a, as the mm -hmm. defendant here. What they did was they gave the defendant the shittier version of the video. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because they if there was actually some tactical advantage that thought they would gain by that. Um Hey, this video, she can't really tell what's going on in the grainy video. But then when we go to trial, right. we'll pop this new one on you where maybe you're not going to have as much time to go through and be like, well, look at this particular area. We're going to highlight this good fact for the defendant. You're not going to have time to do that in real time when I just pop it up there on the screen. But you've already right. been this video. It's just not in this good quality where you can actually tell what the fuck's going on. So, right. I mean, I think, you know, it's a big deal that they didn't yeah. get the clear version, especially if they'd hired somebody to go in and clear it up. They, I mean, they have a right to know who's done it, what their qualifications are, whether they're trained to do that, whether they're, you know, yeah. reliable. They couldn't even do that because they didn't even know about it. They couldn't cross-examine yeah. that guy with a shit. They yeah, I was going to say, defense has a right to cross-examine that individual yes. too, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't have time to even prepare to look at it and even highlight any good facts that come out of that video if they were there for the defense. Right. <clears throat> let's let let's play this video of the uh, the fun little piece of the prosecutor's uh, closing closing statement. And by the way, this is just a misstatement of law right here. That's bullshit. We, okay, let's expound upon that because this one not only not only was it crazy that this this motherfucker is pointing an AR-15 at the, the you know at the jury in the galley, uh, he he then goes on to blatantly misquote law um, that when you show up here, let me let me let me let the video finish playing his little his little statement here because I think he's not done saying stupid shit. No, he's not. He's talking. Okay, if you are the one threatening others, you lose the right to self-defense. No, you don't lose the right to self-defense. Now, it may not be as good of a claim, okay? Mm -hmm. But you don't lose the right to self That That is a mischaracterization of the law. Surprised that the district, I mean, the, the defense attorney didn't object to the misstatement of the law because that's confusing to the jury. I mean, imagine being a juror and they read you, the judge reads you the law in this case. And you've got the prosecutor who's, I mean, like, granted, the prosecutor's going to have no credibility with me if I'm a juror because he's already told me right. shit at the beginning that didn't pan out to be true at the end. But, you know, he's he's telling me something that's different than what the judge is telling me the law is. So that's confusing to a juror in, in itself. You know, what is the law? We go to law school for three years and then we have to take a bar 
And it's still hard sometimes for lawyers to determine what law to give to the jury for them to decide, hey, whether someone's guilty or not. So I can imagine that this was extremely confusing for the jurors whenever they hear this and then trying to actually put that together with what, if they're listening to them, I don't know if they're still even listening to this fucking prosecutor or not, but if they are, put that together with what the judge is instructing you on the law after they're done with closings. I mean, and the guy pointing the gun, like, why would you even do that? Like, was it was, I mean, granted, I could tell that he wasn't loaded. I mean, he had the little, little safety, I yeah, mean, yeah, sure. which tells me, yes, maybe he's not dumb, which, I mean, this stupid asshole, if I'm in the, if I'm a juror, if I'm anybody in that courtroom, I don't think he's got enough sense to operate a weapon. You know, I've been <laughs> up if he had done that with me being in there. I was like, well, I mean, he'll fire away in here. We'll all be blown to bits. So <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. There's so many thoughts in my head with him. I, I can't hardly even process them. Well, let, let's 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 get off of him for a minute. Let's talk about judges. One of the things that I believe is going to happen in this case, and, and Holden brings it up here, um, is that there's going to be a lot of backlash against this judge. There already has been. They believe he's one-sided uh, because of said political positions or whatever. But actually, this judge, uh, apparently he was appointed by a Democrat back in 83, considered you know completely politically unbiased i know that's not the case with all judges jesus christ we put roy moore in a seat uh, in a big seat here in the state of alabama um and he's clearly not an unbiased individual how often do you see or do other defense attorneys run into cases where uh a judge's political lens really affects the way and the outcome trials happen well, it's unfortunate, but judges are people too, okay? And I mean, I will say with this caveat, because I have to practice here where I'm at, <laughs> we have good judges that don't do this, okay? <laughs> but I can see talking how it goes. Right. When I talk about you where I work, other judges, when you're dealing with an elected official, okay, which is part of the problem, in my opinion, electing a judge based on a party, okay, which most of the judges that I know have to run on a party ticket, at least in Alabama, they do. If they're running for certain types of uh, judicial roles, that's that's going to set them up to be leaning towards one way or the other, which is exactly what judges are not supposed to do. They're the gatekeepers of facts. They're there to determine law. And it's supposed to be just law, not politics. What is the law? Black and white. It's my decision, right? Well, when you have a political party that you're affiliated with, you're already coming off as maybe not starting out equal, maybe one end is going to get a little bit of an advantage. And it's human nature for judges to lean one way or the other, but you have to know how to control yourself in the courtroom to where it doesn't, it's not blatantly obvious. Here, with him being a Democratic, you know, per, I guess he was a he was appointed by a Democrat. Uh, with him being, it doesn't really seem to me that that would go with where we are right now in politics. It seems like the Democrats are wanting a conviction when we have mm -hmm. the more, you know, right wing Republican. There you go. The right wing people are saying, no, 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 no. So it's like it's the opposite of what you would think it would be if he were politically mm -hmm. affiliated. But it does happen all the time. And I can see how it's easy for that to come into your mind to have that go on when you have to associate with a party. But I don't know. Yeah, this this would uh, brings this up, Holden, again, but. Uh, there was a. Th this was one of the wilder things I heard. The judge forgot to silence his phone, 
and a song Trump used during his campaign played as a ringtone. Now, hold up. Can I tell you what that song was? It was God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. And see how things right. get played and see how things can be misconstrued so easily. Right. It may be factually correct, is, but we're going to spin this is, in a way to where it looks like he's going one way. That see? Right. Are cameras in the courtroom a net positive or net negative in this way that it can be, you know, sides can spin it based on things that they see happen and don't fully understand? Or is transparency what should win the day? Well, I think in an ideal world, transparency should win the day. I mean, because, yes, while if we just allowed members of the media to go there, or people that were in that area to go, you know, whoever could fit in that courtroom, you're not going to have a way to say, well, they're telling me X, Y, Z, but I wouldn't able to see it. Right. Well, yeah. here we can actually if you have enough sense and you give a shit enough, you can go watch the trial like I did. Huh. I was like, I'm not yeah. going to watch anything related to like the news or the media. I'm watching the trial. And so here I think that it gives the public an avenue if they take advantage of it to make up their own minds without having to listen to what's going on in the media. So if the media tells us what you, what just happened, you know, Hey, Trump's one of Trump's songs played. Well, okay. What was it? (laughs) There you go. I mean, we can't have that. God bless the USA, right? (laughs) You can go, you can fact that, check that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So you're right. But you know, public ain't going to do that. They're not going to do it. Right. Where they just like, Oh, well, here's some clickbait. I'm just going to read what this says. And I ain't going to look into it. That's what's discouraging to me is that we got we have these, you know, these tools we could use to keep things transparent. But they're just too stupid to even look into it. But people, they're not they're not stupid. People, just are, people aren't. Well, they're just not interested in the truth. They're interested in winning. Yeah. They're they're interested in deleting in eliminating and defeating their political opponent. They're not interested in honest truth and objective truth. And that. I think is, is 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 a much scarier fact. Okay, let's let's talk about what we talked about because I thought it was really fascinating what you mentioned and what was happening in this case. Um, one of the things that I've always heard district attorneys, prosecutors really love to do is they'll stack charges, and there are all these laws on the books that have like silly, uh, you know, sort of things with them. So rather than if they can't get you on the murder one or whatever. They'll stack on these ten other random charges that could could play and, and and get a conviction out of it. Let's talk about what you've seen, not directly, but heard through the grapevine of prosecutors doing why they stack charges, what allows them to stack charges, and how they use it to their sort of advantage against your uh, your client. Okay, stacking charges. I mean, just imagine you're a juror. And you have a defendant that's charged with 20 different criminal acts, right? That's that is that looks a lot worse than just having one crime, right? There's more to consider and more things to evaluate whether this guy's, you know, done some shitty stuff. It just makes them look worse off the get. And the reason they can do this is because it's so easy to get someone charged with something. Probable cause is hardly nothing. That's all it takes mm-hmm. to get someone charged with something, you know. Here, you could, you could, I could indict, you know, with, with what you do, you get probable cause to indict someone. I could indict this Coke can. I mean, it's not hard to do. And so the way they're able to do that is just by getting an indictment, which is, yeah, is there probable cause to charge this person with this? 
Probably so. Most of the time there will be. And so when they stack those charges, it's prejudicial, makes the defendant look worse than they, than they are probably. And it makes it seem like they're more likely, again, bringing up 404B stuff, because they've been charged with all this stuff, they probably did something wrong. You'd be amazed at how many jurors believe that. Well, they wouldn't be sitting here right now if they hadn't done something wrong. They wouldn't have all those charges if they hadn't done something wrong. And that is what I think tactical advantage of prosecutors trying to get you charged, like stacking all those charges. Now, what we were talking about earlier is I have never in my lifetime seen where a prosecutor asked for the judge to read instructions to the jury on a lesser included charge than what's been charged. So typically who asks for that to be done is a defense attorney because we we're like, well, we don't want something less that he can be found guilty of than murder, you know, manslaughter or whatever have you. Anything that could, you know, it's been proven in court that they could potentially find them guilty of would ask for an instruction on that lesser included. For the jury to decide. I've never seen a prosecutor say, we want the lesser included included on there. And I think here, the reason that he asked for lesser included is because he knew his case was shit. It went terribly for him, in my opinion, in court. And he knew it was shit. And he's like, we got to get him on something. Or I'm like a dumbass. If he, if he gets acquitted on everything and he walks on everything and there's not one thing we can stick and make him look bad on, I'm going to look like a dumbass. So let's get the lesser included instructed. I've never seen that happen. So- so to explain that, the what what's happening there, and, and I'll just put this in layman's terms for really stupid people who failed out of Samford and didn't graduate with a law degree like me. Um, the basically what basically what it means is that uh, a there when they stack charges, they start with the top, but then they have all of these other charges. But a lesser charge is going from murder one to murder two to manslaughter to th- those sorts of degrees, right? Mm-hmm. And so in this case, the uh, prosecution who is trying to get murder, you know, one or two, whatever, I don't know what they're going for to stick, is exp- is having instruction read to the jury what manslaughter and and these lesser charges than murder are. And that, as you said, is kind of an interesting thing that typically does because jury can go in there and go, no, he's not guilty of murder. He's guilty of manslaughter. But in this case, yeah, we can kind of reach a middle ground on that. You know, the jury may say that, but they're not wanting to convict him of murder. That's I think that's probably why he's doing it. He knows that he can't prove the highest charges. He knows he couldn't. He didn't meet his burden. He didn't. I mean, in my opinion, he didn't. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. Um, well, that's been uh, that, that's really interesting, fascinating. Anything else you saw from this trial that really was like, holy shit, this is a great example of what might be imperfect uh, in our justice system and how that impacts people that you defend on a daily basis? I mean, honestly, it was so overwhelming when I watched it, the amount of stuff that I thought was ridiculous that came in and the things that they talked about the prosecutor most mostly the prosecutor talked about that i thought it's just it's it's just trampling on the defendant's rights yeah there's so many things i can't even tell you articulate right now one off the top of my head because i'm swimming in them like it's just there's many things that i saw um i mean and really a a big one that i've just considered since we started this was you know the media's involvement and another thing if you think like we even talked about this MSNBC. I don't know whether the that has yeah. been, you know, even. 
I don't know whether that's true or not, whether a particular alleged reporter was following this juror, the juror the jury bus. bus. I don't know if that, or if he was just there or he or she was just there in the general vicinity. I don't know what happened, but think about this too. Imagine being a juror and you think that you've got somebody from the media that's going to know where you're at, where you're deliberating at. And we've got this unrest in town. Like your decision is certainly going to be, I mean, that's going to factor in your decision and it should not, it should not come in between deciding guilt and, you know, and an acquittal. That is not something they should have to consider. And I don't think it's anything that, you know, is going to go anywhere good for the defendant, especially like, you know, what they decide, you know, well, if we make this decision, then they're going to come. Yes, they, they certainly feel threatened. And I don't I've never seen that happen in my life where an actual juror feels like whatever decision we make, we could we could face potential violence. And that I think that violates his rights for to a fair trial as well. Yeah, it, 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 but it's but it's where we're at, and it's a scary thing. Um, so that being said, I would love to hear. I've got uh, sort of one final question, and I would love to hear your final thoughts on it. So, okay, so we have a group in our audience that really believes in individual rights and protecting those rights. We believe that the state is kind of looking to take those rights away. I would love if you could give sort of a lesson, a 101 in you are interacting with the police and it could be about another, they, they could be claiming that somebody else committed a crime and they're questioning you or you've come up into a situation where you might need defense help get as a defense attorney, tell the people out there, here's what you do when you're faced potentially with being charged with a crime. Well, I'm sure you've heard of these two gentlemen who are the pot attorneys. Um, you've probably seen their videos and I a hundred percent agree with them. Shut the fuck up. Friday should be a, an everyday thing, okay? Do not talk to them. Now, I understand it's going to look like, you're going to feel like I look guilty if I don't talk to them. They're going to advise you like the Miranda, what we talked about earlier. You have the right to remain silent and all that good stuff. Tell them you want an attorney. You're not going to answer any questions without your attorney there. I think that is number one thing you want to do. Because once you do that, they can't keep coming back and harassing you once you've invoked that right to an attorney. Uh, for that particular charge, they cannot keep coming back and harassing you about it. So I think, one, don't talk to them because you can easily see how words can be misconstrued, just like what we talked about a minute ago with the mm-hmm. Trump song. That can be turned and, and twisted around, and prosecutors will do that with your words as a defendant. Anything you say, they will hold them against you, whether it's right. whether it's bad or not. They will find a way to make it appear bad. So don't talk to the police. Do not talk to them at all unless you have an attorney first present with you. Um, that is the biggest one. I mean, I don't care if you're sitting in jail. Tell me <laughs> exactly. Shut the fuck up, Friday. Um, what are your rights if the police say, okay, if you don't want to talk, you're going to need to come in? What, do you need to like if they if they say we just want you to come down for questioning? Do you have to come down for questioning? No, I, you don't. You do not have to do that. I mean, they can make you once they get enough probable cause to charge you. If you want you. Right. correct. And so a lot of times, like you, I've seen this before where they have several different people they think could they be in the police. 
they think could potentially be the defendant in a crime, right? And they may talk to several different people. And, you know, you might have one of them that says, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I'm going to come present and I'm going to present. I'm going to talk to y'all though, right? And they present and they talk. Well, just think if they hadn't done that, there probably isn't going to be anything to hold against them later because it's probably he said, she said. If you've got another defendant that goes down there and says, I, I want my attorney, it looks bad. I grant, I grant you that. But there's nothing that they're going to be able to do. And what I would do if I, if I was charged or I was potentially being charged, all right, I don't really want to talk. They want to keep talking to you. Am I being charged with something? Am, am I being charged with something? If the answer is no, then you should be able to leave. And if you can't leave, then that's a detention that they have to advise you of all your rights. And so mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, be respectful to the police officers. I understand you're doing a job. I get that police officers, but my rights are my rights. And I would like my, my lawyer, I'd like an attorney present. I think that's the first thing you do. Now, if you, if you get in a situation where you're already there and you're talking and they, they want to keep talking to you and you feel like I can't leave, I presented to my, I presented on my own free volition, but now I feel as if I can't leave, ask them, am I being charged with something? Am I free to leave? And if the answer is you're being charged with something, then yeah, you're probably going to jail, but if not, you're going to be able to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and in that moment, if you're not being charged with something, obviously, well, then I need to speak to my attorney. But the key is the cops are not talking to you uh, to to help you like they are always you are always a suspect. You are always on the line. Uh, it, is, it is they they are never talking to you to clear the air or clear things up. They have an intention, and that is, intention is to find evidence, and your words can be used against you. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's good advice. Shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Ask for a lawyer. It's that simple. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I hope things really do go well, and we have some sort of a peaceful solution when it comes to uh, the Rittenhouse trial. But any final thoughts? Anything else you want to add for the people? I mean, shut the fuck up Friday, and I hope things do not, I hope shit does not hit the fan whenever yeah. they do end up indefinitely reaching the verdict. I, I mean, well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we got a lot of talking to one another to do some beers and bonfires and getting off social media, I think, can make a huge difference. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for being a part. It has been a pleasure, and I hope to see you very soon. I agree. I've enjoyed it, and I better see you in that kid soon. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankowitz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. 
trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the pandemic data and analytics organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates, follow the science on lockdowns and liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the liberty movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.